If you have your Bibles today, I'd invite you to turn to 1 John. And 1 John chapter 3. And if, if we look around today, in the world today, and turn on the news, you t- go to social media, we're, we're seeing just more and more, you know, we see just so much violence, so many just horrific things happening. And I think, you know, we just need to be reminded that of what's most important, and that's and, and how much love we need to show and demonstrate during a time like this, because it's so hard to find. We see kind of glimpses of it at times, but we as believers, we as Christians, definitely need to be demonstrating and living out love to the people around us. Um, you know, let's not forget that on top of everything and where things are at now, this is also an election year. And if it's typical of the last election a few years ago, I mean, even with, within your families, I'm probably guessing that there's, you can have those difficult conversations. You don't want to talk to people. You know, you don't go to Thanksgiving together, all those types of things. And so it, it's just, it really affects everything in, in our, our social circles and our relationships. <clears throat> but what I see happening in culture is we see just this divisiveness happening and and we see it start to sort of creep into the church. We can see it creep into our relationships with each other, with other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And so we want to take a look at this because the way we counter this is love. And as we know, God is love. And so if we are followers of Christ, then we should be the ones that exhibit love uh, most evidently. A group of, of four to eight-year-olds were asked this question, and they were asked the question of what does love mean? And here are some of their answers. Uh, one girl who was age eight said, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Another a boy, he was age five, he, he said this, he said, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. That is love to this five-year-old. Uh, a girl age six says this, she said, love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. I, I can relate to that. Uh, my kids and I, and especially our dog, uh, that's Popcorn and french fries are what our dog eats for snacks. That's, that's his treat. So when you get a thing of fries, he's expecting you to share, and he doesn't have anything to offer. So, so we love him. Um, another one here, this girl, age eight, she says this. She says, during my piano recital, I was on stage, and I was scared. I looked at all the people watching me and saw my daddy waving and smiling. He was the only one doing that. I wasn't scared anymore. And then this last one here. You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. This is from an eight-year-old. She says, but if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. And so I think, you know, it starts with us just telling those around us, the people around us that we care about, that we love them. And that's, that's the beginning. And it's, it's amazing at such a young age that, that these children can have these different glimpses or de- definitions of what love is. In the Bible, we know that there's many types of love, different, t- different kinds. And even in our life, right, we can love our car, we can love our piece of pizza, we can love our spouse or our child, right? We just use that same word love, but there's obviously different meetings. And, and here in, in 1 John, the author here, John, is, is writing about love, and he's writing about a very deep kind of love. Now, just to give you a little backdrop here of, of John, there's, there's estimated 10, about 10 Johns in the Bible. 
Uh, John's a pretty popular name, as we can probably ad- uh, agree on. But this is believed to be the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, and also known as the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, surprisingly enough, John is James's brother. And so if you think of the three disciples that were closest to Jesus, Peter, James, and John, all right, James and John were right there in the middle of it. And the funny thing is Jesus called these guys, James and John, the sons of thunder initially. The sons of thunder. How, who would like that nickname or to be included in that, right? The sons of thunder, daughters of thunder, which means they knew how to bring down, you know, if somebody needed something, they were kind of the enforcers. But I want you to notice that how through John's life and through walking with Jesus, how he started at this as a son of thunder, but it, by the end he was known as the disciple that Jesus loved. And when he writes, and in his writings, the word love is used over 40 times because it, it, he obviously saw something by walking with Jesus and, and being in relationship with Jesus, something in him changed. So here he is, and, and when he, in 1 John and you know, 2 John, all these uh, at the end of the Bible, he's, he's later on in life. And so he has this opportunity to really think back and look back and reflect. And he's, he's witnessed or heard about all of the other disciples have been, have been martyred, basically, with the exception of him. So he's at the end of his life. He's one of the few disciples that lived to be old. And so he's really having this opportunity to speak into uh, just the followers of Christ who are really looking for direction. He was the last living disciple at that time. And so we should pay attention to what he's saying and heed his words. So in 1 John chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to begin in verse 11. And I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And it says this, it says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother, and why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today, God. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to share your word. I thank you for just uh, the fact that we have your word. God, uh, many places in the world can't even get their hands on it, or it's illegal to possess it. But God, we are grateful for the gift of your word. God, I pray that you will speak to us today through your word. God, that it will be just a time of refreshing, that you will speak to our hearts, and God, that you will use this time together to change us, and again, point us to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, so again, here we are in 1 John, and here, here's this, um, this, this passage here that's, that's talking about love, and, and that we should love one another. Mother Teresa was quoted once as saying this about love. She says, we must grow in love and to do this, we must go on loving and loving and giving and giving until it hurts, the way Jesus did. Do ordinary things with extraordinary love, little things like caring for the sick and the homeless, the lonely and the unwanted, washing and cleaning for them. You must give what will cost you something. This, sorry, then your gift becomes a sacrifice which will have value before God. Any sacrifice is useful if it is done out of love. This giving until it hurts, this sacrifice, is also what I call love in action. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? Giving until it hurts. 
That's, that's really the kind of love that we're talking about. That's, it's a love beyond just a, a casual love, like I love this or that, but it's a deep sense of love. And that love in the Bible is, is called agape. Agape. And agape speaks of the most powerful, noblest type of love. It's a sacrificial love. And it is, it is a love that's more than a feeling. It's really an act of our will. Now, if, if you're here today and you're married, all right, you may agree to this, but sometimes we could probably say that, that love kind of comes down to being a choice, doesn't it? Yeah? Can you be honest with me today? It's, it, it, sometimes it comes easy. It's easy. But really, true love engages, right, when, when the other person isn't very lovable, right? Now, my wife and I, we never have, well, I never have this problem with her, but I'm sure at times that she, well, oftentimes she's choosing to love me. In fact, if I'm serious and honest with you, we actually say that sometimes when we get a little irritated with one, with one another, we'll stop and say, you know, I'm choosing to love you right now. I, I encourage you to try that because it works. And, you know, you're saying an honest statement, but it's, it's, it's being a choice, right? It's like, I'm choosing to love you right now. And so it's, it's pretty funny. And so that's, that's really what agape love is. It's way more than a feeling. It's an act of will. Charles Spurgeon, he says this. He says, love never proclaims the errors of others. And listen to this. Catch this. It refuses to see faults unless it may kindly help in their removal. Love stands in the presence of a fault with a finger on its lips. You see, when we really love somebody, we love them in spite of them, right? That's really the example that was set for us with Christ is that he loved us while we were still far off. While we were still sinners, he died on the cross, the ultimate act of love. Continuing on in verse 14, he says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Now, this is, catch this. He says, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So we see this comparison, right, with brothers and sisters, which are brothers and sisters in Christ. We see this comparison between hate and murder. And so we see this love versus hate kind of uh, comparison, and we see this life versus death. So you could really say that love produces life, while hate produces death. Hate produces death. You see, no one goes out and murders somebody they love, they truly love, do they? It starts with this, this hatred, this bitterness in their heart, which then translates to an action. So no one here, I don't think today, if, if we're honest, no one here today would admit that they hate someone else here in this church, their brothers and sisters in Christ. You may have some dislikes. You may, you know, kind of see things differently on, on some things. I know in our home, you know, we tell our kids, you know, they don't say they hate their brother or sister. You know, that we, we just kind of shut that down because that hatred is, is a, it's the starting point that can take things much further into an action. But we don't, because none of us really hate somebody here, we really let ourselves off the hook quite quickly. But I want to take a, a closer look <clears throat> at this word hate. All right? So we're talking about love, and let's look at the opposite, which is hate. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 27, there's a, 
a scripture here, and maybe some of you have read this, and maybe some of you have wondered or, or asked a question, like, I wonder what that means exactly, because a lot of people say that, you know, there's contradictions in the Bible, but what it takes is it takes you to look closer, it takes you to look at things in context to understand what it's saying, and so that's what we're going to do today. So in verse 25, it says this, it says, of, of Luke 14, it says, now great crowds were traveling with him, that's Jesus, they were traveling with Jesus, and so he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and comes after me cannot be my disciple. So is that, is that a typo or something? I mean, do you, are you all just okay when you read that? You just go by it like, okay, so Jesus is saying that I'm supposed to hate my father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Is that, that's kind of challenging to hear, right? Like, what, what does, what's going on there? What does that mean exactly? Well, I'm glad you asked, because we're going to look at that. So the word hate there is, is, is the Greek word meseo, and, and listen to this. It, it, it denotes a lesser degree of love, okay? It denotes a lesser degree of love. Now, Knowing that, understanding that, let's go back and just take a peek at this one more time in Luke. So verse 26, 26, we can say, if anyone comes to me and does not love his own father and mother less than me, does not love his wife and children less than me, or does not love his brothers and sisters, yes, less than me, or here's the big one, if this person does not love even his own life less than he loves me, he cannot be my disciple. Does that make a little more sense now? You see, Jesus is saying he has to be the love of our life. He has to be the number one of our life, even above ourselves. And that's probably the greatest challenge of all, is that we love Christ more than even our own lives. We, we love Jesus and our life is less than that. And then if you read that, that next statement, so check this out. Whoever does not bear his own cross and comes after me cannot be my disciple. So again, what's being said there, what Jesus is saying is that the whole the idea of losing your life to gain it, right? That we lay down our life, we put our life as less. Lord, use my life, whatever it means. And here's Jesus as our perfect demonstration when he came to earth. Where did, where did his life take him to? It took him to the cross. It took him to a horrific death. Well, why? Because he loved God, his father, more than he loved his own life. And he was willing to be obedient even unto death on a cross, which was the ultimate display of what love is. And so again, this idea of, of hate is loving less is, is a key component. So if we go back to what we said earlier, that we should love one another, all right? And then we went into the part where it says, everyone who hates his brothers or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So again, we can see what's being said there is that if we love somebody else in the body of Christ less, that we basically are hating that person in the body of Christ, that we are guilty of hate because we love less. 
And so what it is is we can't have favorites in the body of Christ. We can't have favorites with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to love one another, and the only way that happens is through Jesus and through the love of Christ, and because he is the one that equips us and gives us the ability to love one another. Listen to what John writes in his gospel in chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He says this, I give you a new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. Now, check this out. Verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The New Living Translation says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So church, we are not given the luxury of not loving one another. We are not allowed to walk in, in, in anything other than love for one another. And so, again, remembering this as we go through these times and as we see the world around us and what's happening, to not let that creep in to the church, into the body of Christ. Now, I'm not saying, I've not seen that amongst you per se, but I see what's happening and I see it, I've even seen it in other churches and I'm not saying it doesn't exist in this church, but if we do not stand vigilant and make sure that we are walking truly in love with one another, even those in our body that we call brothers and sisters in Christ that see things differently, if we're not walking in love with one another, then the world will never truly see the gospel. They will never truly see what it is to be the church. We are to be disciples and to be a light to the world, and that light shines brightest when we're walking in love to one another. The church is failing in a lot of ways to show the world that they are the authentic disciples of Christ because we are failing to be authentic in our love for one another. I often say, just, just like I said you know, at the beginning, when my wife and I we say, we cho I'm choosing to love you right now. You see, it's easy to love somebody when they're lovable. When they're doing everything that you tell them to, when they're doing everything you think they should be doing, or when they're like, you know, being really nice to you and getting you stuff or you know, being kind to you. It's a whole other thing when love becomes a choice, right? when you have to choose to love that person in spite of that person, when you have to choose to walk with them through their, their ups and downs. You know, a lot of people, when they, they're children, it, they can bring tremendous joy, but they can also bring tremendous pain at times, can't they? To, to watch as they struggle through some things in life, as they work through some things in life. But you know what? Your love being consistent is what really ministers to them, to be there for them, to encourage them, to pray with them, and to be their biggest cheerleader. That's really what we are here in this body of Christ. We're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to cheer for one another. We're supposed to love one another through it all, through the challenges. Oftentimes, I think it comes down to really the church being back on mission, which is our mission is to go into all the world, right? To go into all the world to reach the lost. But I believe that the church has become so uh, focused inwardly on itself that we've lost sight of our mission. Because you know why? When we're on mission, those little things that we have time to argue about just kind of fade away. 
When you're on mission, when you're doing the, the call and the work that God has called us to and called you to, it's very hard to look at what somebody else is doing because you're so focused on what's in front of you. And so that's, that's an encouragement and that's a challenge for us today. Let's go on a bit further here in verse, 1 John 3, verses 16 through 18. It says this, This is how we have come to know love. He, Jesus, laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. My question today, church, is, is are you, are, are we, am I loving this body of believers in a way that is costing you something? True love costs something. True love is not based on convenience. True love comes with a cost. Our example is Christ. And our life must be consistent with Jesus. Amen. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says this. It says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. We cannot claim to be in Christ if we do not behave like Christ. Christ is our example. As I stated earlier, Christ was obedient and he lived out his life in obedience. Perfect obedience. Again, get this. Perfect obedience led him to the cross. And let me just say this today because I think it needs to be said and we need to be reminded that being a Christian and being a follower of Christ is not a guarantee that life is going to be easy. And I think sometimes we missell what it is to be a Christian. While it is, in one sense, the easiest thing that you can ever do, meaning you can say a prayer and you have this heart change where Christ comes in, the Spirit of God renews your heart. But really, that's only the beginning. And I see far too often, especially in Western Christianity, unfortunately, where people, they, they tie together, well, I'm a Christian, so my life's supposed to just be perfect and smooth. And if I go through any challenge, if I go through any struggle, it must be a lack of faith on my part or, or I must be doing something wrong. And I always want to bring people back to that fact. Well, look where Jesus ended up, where he ended up. He's the perfect son of God with no mistakes. If anybody's going to hear the father's voice and know the father's will, it's going to be Jesus, his son. And that obedience led him to a cross. But that message doesn't sell books, does it? So I want to encourage you today that Jesus promises that he will never leave us or forsake us, which means we will go through valleys and we will go on mountaintops. We will have the ups and downs of life, and we are promised that Jesus will never leave us. But it doesn't mean that the road will be easy all the time. And that's okay. And if you're going through a struggle, and I know many of people here today that are present, but also people that call this uh, church home, 
are going through difficult seasons. But you know what's amazing? The first and foremost is that, that Jesus is with you. Secondly, you know what's amazing is watching all of you help each other through these times of challenge. And by doing that, you are demonstrating what the love of Christ is, what true love really is to the world that's watching. And you're allowing for a testimony to go forth so that people see the love of Christ. I want to close with just a thought here, two, two things here I want you to think about. The first is that is personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. We have a responsibility that God has called us to, to be faithful in our walk with God. We have a personal responsibility. You know, a lot of times, again, we think that, well, you know, if I don't spend time with God today, if I don't pray today, it's not that big of a deal. But then what about that person that calls you up from the congregation here or somebody in the church and says, you know, I'm struggling today. I really need to talk to you. Or I really need to pray with somebody today. And you're not in a place where you, you have anything to offer because you've been kind of slacking off. We, we, we see, again, we see so many times we just see ourselves and we don't see the effect. Or maybe you come across that person at the checkout in a difficult situation and God wants to use you. He wants to, to, to allow you to share something or pray with that person, but you're just not aware of it because you're just not, you've not spent time with God. We have a personal responsibility that we're called to. The second thing, and this is the hard one, is we have a mutual accountability. Mutual accountability. What does that mean? We're accountable one to another. We're accountable first to God, but when we come up, up to alongside one another in love, we have a mutual accountability. That's what we need. We need to say, hey, you know, what's going on here? I see this or this. Are you okay? And if it's done in love, that's all of us should welcome that, right? All of us should invite that in to challenge us because we need that help. We need those people alongside of us. We were never designed to do this alone. So personal responsibility, mutual accountability is vital as we continue to walk out and show our love to the world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word today. Lord, I thank you for this time just that you've just spoken through your word, just that you've spoken to our hearts, Father. God, I pray that we've been challenged today. I pray that, um, Lord, just that you just turn our hearts towards you and, and, and to respond to the word that's gone out today. God, we need to know that that we are required to love one another, that we are required to love each other equally. God, especially here in the body of Christ, if the other person is a brother or sister that's, that's counted as yours, Lord God, we accept them, we love them, we embrace them. God, forgive us where we've shown partiality, Lord God, to people around us that are in the body of Christ, where we've raised one up above another. Forgive us, Father, for that. God, help us to love one another in such a way that it, it marks us as true disciples, that it demonstrates to the world around us that we are yours, that we are your church. God, that is what we want to be. We want to be light in a dark world. God, I pray for each person here just as we continue on through the rest of this, this year. God, the trials and the, the, the struggles that, that lay before us.
God, that we will continue to walk that out in a way that's edifying and glorifying to you, that we will walk that out in a way that demonstrates your love. God, help us to love the way that you loved us and love us. God has demonstrated through sending your son to die on the cross. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the example that was set before us. Help us to better love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.